everybody, welcome back to episode 44 of That Scale RC Show. This is Jeremy, and I am here with... Adam. And, as you guys know, because we've been trying to blow up our social media with it, tonight we have a very special guest, Mr... Brad Geck. All right. And... <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, Jay, that was really important. We weren't, sure, we weren't sure if you were going to say it or if you were yeah, supposed to yeah. it. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's an amateur hour here. So if you guys aren't familiar with Brad Geck, he works for Team Associated. And uh, under that, we've got Element RC, which he has been a massive force behind. And uh, also Gecko Trails, which is kind of his uh, recreational, personal love of the hobby page. So, uh yeah, from there, Adam, you want to take it away? Yeah, we'll jump right into the um, to the icebreaker questions. So, first one we got for you is, uh, what was your first scale crawler? Uh, it was, uh, let's see, it was a dingo. Really? Yeah, it was an axial dingo. Um, I still have it. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> um. Favorite scale, uh, well, so what would be your favorite scale crawler now? Not just your first one, but now, <laughs> favorite scale crawler. Uh, I mean, define scale crawler. I mean, you're talking about my favorite personal build, or are you talking about the chassis underneath it? Any way you want to answer it. Your favorite personal build, your favorite brand, whatever. Everybody's, We I've noticed this question all of our guests have kind of answered it in their own way. Like some say it's whatever build they have. Some say it's the platform. So interpret you know, honestly, it. Um, yeah, someone just asked the other day, and we, we were defining them as a, a lotto build. Like what would you get if you win a lotto? So I, that's kind of mm-hmm. how I take your question. So for me, it would probably be one of those capos, you know, just because. Yeah, the detail is incredible. Um, yeah, just from top to bottom, they're incredible. I would want one I, of those, just because I, I could geek out just looking at the thing. I got lucky and got to see one of those in person at a hobby shop I visited, and it was it was pretty crazy what the lengths that they went to. That, and it was, like, physically giant. Yeah, that's the thing. Is I mean, I don't even know if it works or anything, and to be quite honest, I don't care. You know, if it was, if it was a lotto-type <laughs> thing, it doesn't matter. It's, it's gorgeous. They did a wonderful job, and I appreciate a good attention to detail. Rad. Nice. Um... Where would be your favorite place to go crawling? Oh, it would be the backyard. CDM, Corona Del Mar. Um, it has a little bit of everything. It's got sand, it's got rock, it's got a little bit of shrub. Um, you can get shots of the sunset, shots of the water. It's, I mean, it's RC heaven. It's like a tiny Moab, really. Awesome. Yeah, one of these days, I need to make my way down to SoCal. I haven't, I mean, SoCal to actually go crawling. The last time I've been down there was... I think like 2006, but that was before I was into any of the hobby. Yeah. Um, your favorite RC event? Uh, Proline by the Fire. Um, I had a great time the last two years. Uh, those were the only two that I went. I've been to lots of events. Um, I've been in this hobby for over 20 years and have done just about everything. And Proline by the Fire is fantastic. There's no rules. It feels like a giant hangout which is really cool because uh, that's my favorite part of the hobby is everybody just gets together and talks and, you know, there's food and there's stuff to check out and trails to run and stories and that's uh, the best. That's awesome. Absolutely. 
I know, of course, the one year everybody's been twisting my arm to get down there, and they have to, you know, move it back. Uh, are you going to be able to make it in October? I don't think so. Uh, bummer. I don't know. We'll see. Because, I I mean, I'm still not 100% sure on what the date is. I've heard that it was the weekend after Crawl for a Cure, which is a big one for us up here in Northern yeah. California. So it's like, do you go to one event and then piggyback and hurry up and head down and go to the next one? So it's kind of... That's a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of work, so I don't know. Um, I'd like to. Like I've been say, I've said it numerous times on this show. I'd love to get down the pro line by the fire. If I can't start doing it like a yearly thing, at least once. Put it on my bucket list and go once. Yeah, for sure. Um, which leads us actually. That's kind of like a parallel into our next question. Do you prefer comp days or trail days? Trail for sure. Um, I'm more into the the fun part of the hobby versus the competitive part of the hobby. I did racing for quite a few years and not as not nearly as competitive as I was. At least not chasing checkers. Nice. Um, and then, if you were to walk into a hobby shop right now, what would be your next scale purchase? It could be a rig, parts, accessories, whatever. Just what would be your next scale related purchase? Whew. Man, that's a really good one. I'm looking around the room at uh, a mountain of three-quarter done projects and trying to pick what one would need <laughs> some stuff. <laughs> um, honestly, I've, I've, I'm a big fan of the Scalar Fab stuff. Um, I really like the stuff that they've built lately, and I, I don't have any of it. So uh, probably some, some Scalar Fab goodies. Nice. Yeah, their stuff is pretty rad. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then final question, what is your favorite hobby shop? Oof. Well, uh, I was lucky enough to, to live just down the road and go in and picking up models every Friday from Hobby Shack, uh, the original Hobby Shack, Hobby People, um, right here in Fountain Valley. It was the shop. It was the place to go to. Models on the wall, planes on the ceiling type stuff, the best. Um I haven't ventured into too many shops around the country, um, but that one was my favorite. Probably just you know because it was hometown. Yeah, I hear you on that one. Anytime you have an awesome hometown, and we've been saying this, and I know right now, especially during this time, um, to support your local hobby shop is big. But when you can, when your hot your local hobby shop is you know doing awesome, you know that's a win for everybody. Absolutely. So that is it for our icebreaker questions. So Jay, do you wanna do you have any like structure of how you want to do this? Um, well, the th so I know the episode that we had Schultz on. Um, he covered a lot of the birth of Element and everything, and how uh, all that came to be. So it'd, it'd yeah. probably be kind of redundant to go over all of that again, but okay. um. As far as like, I think your, like your journey with it, you know, like you, you had done a, you had a post a while back where you were talking about, um, you know, how you kind of tested the waters with gecko trails and then it kind of had gone from there. I, I think it would be really interesting to hear, you know, your story with the journey that you guys have taken to where, you know, now you have a truck and you're competitive in the marketplace and, you know, it happened in what a year's time. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Sure. Um, well, I kind of alluded to it earlier a little bit when I said um, I no longer chase checkers. Um, it, it kind of got to the point where it wasn't cool for me. And if you if if you're at Associated, um, it's it's no surprise that we're after checkered flags. We're we're in this to win. That's what we've done. That's what we've always done. Um, so you know, but it got for, it got to the point for me where it just wasn't as fun. It happened when I had kids and I took them to the track and there was just no interest. It was just too wild and too crazy and they just weren't into it. So mm. I became not into it. But right. later I found a trail truck and got into that and started playing with that for fun. It was uh, the Axial Dingo. Started playing with that on the side and brought it into work, I think. Uh, I was taking the shocks off of it because, well, they're not that good. <laughs> <laughs> and I was replacing them with some old, like, I think they were like T3 shocks or something like that from uh, the T3 two-wheel drive electric truck that we had at the shop. You know, put them all together and had a good time with those and started playing. And someone at the shop saw it and knew that I was into it. And later down the road, a few years later, um, it got brought up in a meeting. Like, what do we need to do next? What's growing? What's hot? And I stood up and I said, trail trucks. They're like, okay, well, tell me more. Like, well. You add weight, and you actually go slow, and brushed is a thing. And they all looked at me like I was crazy. Like, <laughs> what? What? Wait a minute. Everything we threw away is, like, all relevant again? <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> um, it took a while to get them to kind of understand. Uh, mm -hmm. It's backwards from most things. Um, even the business model is completely backwards, which is why we created a different name versus just doing trail trucks as team associated. Um, so, I mean... It was kind of that. Um, pitched the idea. They enjoyed the idea. The market was ready for it. Um, we were, had the manufacturing capability and ready for it. We had the schedule open to do it. So we did it. It was kind of that simple. And you would kind of, you guys had the CR12, and that that's how I had first became aware of you was through the CR12 groups and stuff like uh -huh. that. And uh, so... It, when you guys brought the CR12 in, was that to kind of test the waters, or what? What was the thing behind that? It was a little bit of both. Um, it's manufactured and created by by our parent company, Thunder Tiger, so we had access to it. Um, we knew what it cost to make and all that kind of stuff. They had a body on it, but we decided to do something different for our market. Um, brought it in, put a body on it. Uh, decided to put it through the team associated name, which we already had established and everything, and see what everybody thought. Um, it was a tough test because it's a different size. You know, mm -hmm. it's kind of like putting out a smart car. It makes right. sense in some regard, but people kind of look at it with one eye squinted. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I don't, yeah. I don't quite get it. Um, if you drive them, they're actually quite good cars. They're, they're yeah, actually they work quite well. Um, their drivetrain could use some work. It's not the strongest thing on the planet. Um, if you stay realistic with it and you understand what it costs, and it's actually quite a capable little truck. Um, so yeah, it was a test bench, but it wasn't. Um, but it wasn't brought in as kind of a joke either. Uh, right. We gave it a serious go, and through that we determined that uh, pretty quickly that uh, at least through social media that the people didn't want to hear about at least people that were watching and waiting for. Um, SLA pictures and setup sheets. They didn't want to see trail trucks. I mean, right. You could see numbers plummet. You could see no action when you posted things like that. So that told me that that demo was 
they didn't want to see a trail trap. So we created our own demo. We created our own name, a different message, a different style, but same team. That's really cool. Yeah, the, the CR12 is really fun. I mean, that little one that I had first that I made a samurai out of, that was yeah. a blast. I mean, I had tons of fun with that. And I think for short wheelbase builds, like that's a, still a great and, you know, like very relevant platform to use for some of these smaller trucks. Yeah, you got to stay smiley with it. You got to be, you know, don't don't ever try to take that thing seriously. Just smile and have a good time and be silly about it with a samurai body. You know, if you keep if you keep it like that, it'll never let you down. If you exactly. try to weight the wheels and you try to be competitive and you try to put it in class one and you try to do these different things with it, it's probably not going to be what you hope it's going to be. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, I'm worried that I probably made a mistake here because we, uh, I made two posts about this episode, so we might have two different posts to look at for questions. I was just looking at that. I was getting, a, I was trying to get like ahead of this part, so I yeah, didn't know. Sorry, I should have thought that through a little bit better. Well, it's fine. I mean, I've shared I... it a couple times as well, so I don't know if the people asked on our shares as well so gotcha okay okay i might have to do some hunting do you want me to start with the um with the first one we originally did yeah let's do that i'm going to pull that up right now too so that i can it was about a, the one that we did the post from yesterday so all these are about a day old so i know these are like the okay, original yeah. ones looks like there's like 19 comments okay mm-hmm. okay so this one is going to be for i know this one's for jay but I don't think you can answer it. What's in the EPX box? That's what I want to know. And that's from Warren. <laughs> uh, I know. I've, I've uh, seen that a couple times now. Um, it is a bolt-on performance kit for the Element platform. Um, I'm trying to figure out a good balance of being tight-lipped about it, but still trying, like, hype it up some too so um yeah it's i'll you know what i'll message him personally and we'll talk about it um i I don't think (laughs) i don't think i want to give too much away we're only at like a week and a half out from getting the parts here but this is kind of like it's a big deal for me and it was kind of a big expense so i'm i'm uh, trying to be careful (laughs) good for you be strong we're here to support you (laughs) right on (laughs) So this one's a good one, and it's kind of funny. Um, it kind of goes back into what you guys were just talking about, but from David, uh, Gust- uh, was it Um Sorry, I know. Sometimes I butcher names. Um, it's a two-parter. He said, Brad, what do you prefer more for custom builds, the CR12 or the Enduro platform? And then the second part is also, what are the chances of of the CR12 platform getting a little love? Uh, uh, well, it de- honestly, it depends. I mean, if somebody said, build me a Samurai, I probably wouldn't try to, to squeeze an Enduro underneath that. Um, I would probably use a CR12. But if somebody said, build me a hard body four-wheel drive or a forerunner or something, I, I would definitely pick the Enduro. So it really kind of depends. Um, 90% of the time, I would pick the Enduro. Uh, unless I probably got under yeah. under probably 10.8 wheelbase, um, where I would start uh, really considering a CR12 instead. 
Nice. What was the second part of the question? There was two uh, parts. The second, yeah, the second part was, what are the chances of the CR12 platform getting a little love? Probably not very good. Um, we have so much to do, and you know, you can only manufacture so often. So if if, if we're going to create a hole in manufacturing, we're going to set something aside in order to to redo this or redo that or make new tools or even run tools. Um, what are we going to set aside? And right now we are so jam packed, we just don't have uh, we just don't have the space for it. We have a lot of exciting things coming from not only Team Associated but Element and Reedy as well. So um, we are packed. Sounds fair enough to me. Um, oh man, Eric Warren's just going to double dip. He's actually triple dipping. I think there's another. I was just looking at some of our other ones. I think he's got another question and the other one that you posted up. But um, he just said, with lots of quote-unquote custom questions, what would your definition of a customized, as most of us are assemblers and the bolt-on items that others have made, can you draw a line between what is custom and what is not? I feel that if you did something to your rig, uh, you made it custom for you. Whether the wheels or tires or shocks, scale goodies or a new ESC and motor, obviously there are a few out there that build ground-up custom trucks that are on or that are one-off and one-of-a-kind, but most of us don't uh, do that, so can you even draw a line between what is custom and what is not for the average wheeler? Um, wow. Yeah, that's a that's a lot to swallow, but I might be I might just get brutally honest with this, or at least it's just my opinion. I always call I usually don't call a custom rig custom until you've been doing some sort of a one-off, like kind of like he was saying, um, whether it's you're building your own bumpers or you um, built like a rear truggy at you know from scratch or you know. To me, that's more of like your custom rig, or you're applying a hard body to whatever you know platform you're using. Um, your average person is gonna already go out and get the bolt-on accessories, your bolt-on prefab bumpers and tires and wheels. So to me, that doesn't really make it custom. At that point, you're kind of just, you know, you're just glamming it up. It's kind of like you're just putting your style into it. If you want, if I guess lack of better way of describing it. At least it's that's almost, how I view it. It's almost like he's talking upgrades versus custom built. Yeah, I mean I think you I think you alluded to it right there though. I mean in the simplest terms, anything that you bolt onto a car would be a customization. And to be custom would be short for customization. So it depends on how literal you want to be. Truly it depends on the person's ability and wherewithal. So to a guy that can weld, if your car doesn't have a cage in it, it's not custom. Even if you've done a lot of custom work to the suspension, you've rehung the shocks, and you've done all these different things to make it personalized to you, it's not custom. But to a guy that can't weld, shock keys and a paint job is full custom. So it really kind of depends, you know? Right. Like a yeah, lot of no. people, a lot of people... I wish I could weld. That's one of the things I've always wanted to do. I've never picked up. But I can braze and I can do things like that. So maybe I'm a little closer to um, like bolt-on custom still being able to be called customized. You know, um, a, yeah. a prefabbed bumper that you buy from the shelf that's bolted on and a different driver head and some wheels from Amazon. Yeah, it's tough to call that custom, but you know, if that's the kind of stuff you're buying and that's what you're into, then it's it's probably custom for you. 
you know? Right. And we have to remember that. We all, we all started somewhere. Yeah, you know? exactly. My Tyco RC Bandit was painted red. That sucker was custom. Custom. <laughs> <laughs> that red was custom faded. Yeah, yeah it's no. funny. I almost never use that word, custom. Like, with all this stuff, you know, with what I do and everything here, like, I mean, as far as, like, building rigs and putting them together and stuff like that, like, I don't think I've ever even used the word custom in anything that I've ever posted. Like, th there's always this big debate between, like, you know, like, what actually constitute, constitutes a build and what doesn't. And yeah. that's that's the tough part. And... I think like what you said, it's it's something that is varying degrees depending on ability level and your time that you're willing to put into it and stuff. So, I mean, I think it's different for every person. And uh, I don't know. I, I actually, I kind of don't like the idea of a line being drawn between like what's custom and what isn't. I'd rather it just be, hey, you know, everybody's out doing stuff to their cars and modifying them and putting upgrades on them or whatever they want to call it. And, you know, it's just kind of all one big, happy category to throw everything in so keep it open yeah, to I'm more on that uplifting side too yeah because it just seems like you're inviting arguments and debates and stuff like that if you know like if if you you start you know it, there's always like that dude that's gonna hop on your post and be like that's not custom blah 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 you know so yeah. it's like i try and stay away from that stuff yeah so just yeah, keep it sure. open to interpretation yep sounds uh, like we can all agree on that one. Um, Rob Smith, can you ever customize a truck too much? I have an Enduro and and have, I feel, perhaps lost my way with what I want to do with it. I have changed all sorts of... Okay, uh, there's some typos. I have changed all sorts and I'm starting to wonder why I have done what I have done. Also, uh, he's asking Brad... Uh, are you scared of the SCX-10 3 and what do you have coming to take it on? Hmm. <laughs> um, I, I don't think I've ever been scared of an RC car. Um, I stood next to, to Nick Case's car when it did 180 miles an hour. That was a little scary. Oh, my but, God. Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not scared of anything. Uh, I invite competition. I think it's fantastic. Um, yeah, it breeds better products. Strong, and I hope the thing is successful. Yeah. Um, what was the first part again? Uh, he just basically he was just saying, "Can you it ever? Was, uh, oh, can you can you get lost? Can you overdo a car? Like, yeah, yeah. I kind of, yeah. I think probably you could. You know, you can get to a part. I think what happens when you get to that point where you think you've overdone it, you've gotten lost, is you've forgotten to to cut ties with it. You know, a build gets to a point where you're done with it. Maybe it's just the body. Maybe it's the wheels and tires. Maybe it's the shock package that you're done with. But You've got to cut all that stuff away and start fresh. If you keep trying to bolt and twist and move and jimmy, it's um, it kind of falls apart. And I kind of feel like I've been exactly where he's talking about. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. I, for me, you got to learn when to when to cut it and walk away and start something fresh. Well put. I I think I've said this before on the show. Uh, that happened to me. I want to say two. No. We're going on four years now. Um, before Axial Fest 2016, I was trying to build when Proline came out with the utility bed. I wanted to do some sort of like chase truck pre-runner kind of thing. And the problem I was having was everything I was doing, I was trying to think of being able 
to drive on the trail. And then that's when I said, when do you realize, okay, am I trying to build some sort of a concept to get a point across or am I still worried about performance? And then you got to, in my opinion, kind of pick which one of those directions you want to go towards and then stick with it and then kind of yep. mold it, whatever the lesser part is. So like if you're trying to go more performance orientated, start building it more performance, then mold and, you know, I guess bend the rules and the scale portion to bring in your whatever your your idea or your vision was for how you wanted it to look. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But, know your forks in the road. You know, know exactly where you're going and don't deviate. If you go from path to path, you're not committing to anything, and that's where you get lost. This kind of falls into a question, not really a question, but something I kind of wanted to talk about too here is it's something that I've noticed more with the Enduro platform. And I don't know if it's because the Enduro has drawn a lot of new people to the hobby. It seems like I've seen a lot of new scale RC enthusiasts that are purchasing the element Enduro. And I've seen, there's almost like this compulsive feeling that people have to, immediately start upgrading and so i mean there's uh, of course you know like there's the tires and the wheels and body and stuff you know you're making it yours but i'm also seeing a lot of guys that are trying to re-engineer the thing and you know i'm seeing stuff that you know four years ago was a no-no and that's you know trying to do a chassis mount servo with a four link and so it's like we've got guys trying to do that again and then there's guys that you know haven't even driven the thing and they want to replace the speed control and i i think it would be cool to break down that like stigma of rtr stuff sucking because it's not the case i mean like I, I'm not gonna get in trouble for saying this or anything, but like, for example, the Reedy ESC that comes in it, it's the same as Axial AE5, and it's a really smooth, yes. reliable speed control. And uh, yes. I never had an AE5 fail on me or anything like that, and of course, never had the Reedy one give me any issues. And I, I just, I don't know if you guys have like a better idea of why this happens, but. There's like this just compulsion to just start ripping stuff off of it and replace everything, and not everything really needs to be replaced. I guess Honestly, I think it's pretty easy to answer. How many guys do you know have a bone stock daily driver? True. I'm, well, I get mine's pretty Each close. One of those cars that they're driving was designed by a multi-billion-dollar company with engineers that have been doing it forever. Yet everybody thought they could do it a little bit better. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. And You know, you know it's, just, some... it's just because we can't leave anything alone. It's that's, yeah. It dips back into custom. Right? Is it, it hard? Into, I don't want my stuff getting lost in a parking lot. So <laughs> Right, exactly. Is it hard for you, though, seeing guys, like, rip the Reedy, the Reedy ESC out of it and throw in a Hobbywing 1080, which seems to be, like, everybody's go-to right now? Like, is it make you kind of want to like speak up and be like, Hey, honestly, guys, that read ESC isn't bad. You know, it's super smooth. Of course. But I don't, I think honestly, I get the feeling that it, that it looks bad on us when me personally, when I jump in and say that, cause it's like, well, man, of course you're going to say that. Right. Well, exactly. No, I'm being honest with you. It's actually a good unit. 
well, how come it feels different in your car than it does in my SCX-10? Well, I've got overdrive, and you have to understand, when you put a car in reverse that has overdrive to the front end, the, now it's pushing from that front end much harder. So reverse is going to be harder. Yeah. Um, you, so there's just a lot of things that, yeah, I could jump in and try to explain, but, you know, if a guy is sold, guy or girl, whatever, if a, if a builder is sold on changing the speed control, um, me coming in and trying to clarify is just going to look graspy. I don't think it's going to sell them. The only time I feel bad is is when they've been sold that something is defective that isn't, and they've wasted their money. Um, that's why I feel bad. I don't. I feel bad when people spend money they don't need to spend. Yeah, same here. I feel like in this industry, like working at like we kind of. I don't know. I, f- I feel kind of like a moral obligation to be honest with people about stuff like that. Be like, hey, if you're dead set on replacing the ESC, then, you know, I can suggest this. But honestly, I mean, unless it, you know, burns up, run what came in it until there's something wrong with it. You know, I mean, it may last yeah. you the next two years. Yeah, so. but there's a lot of there's a lot of voodoo in that kind of stuff, too. I mean, the placebo effect is a real deal. I mean, oh yeah, you've seen this in in Formula One. Um, you know why is that particular wing outlet over there? It doesn't do anything in aero. It's like, well, the driver thinks that it does, and that is enough. Because yeah, if the driver exactly. thinks that it does. He's <laughs> gonna he's gonna be able to put the car in a spot that he might not otherwise feel comfortable. It's right. the same thing happens. I talk to my boss about it all the time because he's into golf. So the analogy I like to use with him is it's 150 over water or 150 over grass. Same club, same <laughs> ball, same shot. But if it's over water, it's a completely different animal, right? Right. Mm-hmm. right. So it has a lot of that. So if somebody says, oh, it's bad, well, then it's got to be bad. You know, then you got that <laughs> whole thing. You, It was online. You know? Well, and I can feel it. I don't think you actually can. I think you think you can feel it, but you actually cannot, unfortunately. Right, exactly. I think the other part of it is, like, by nature, everybody – you know, we all want to somewhat brag at some point or like, you know, you want to be proud of what you have. And I think when, you know, somebody like is showing off their car, they don't want to say, oh, I got the stock electronics in there because they feel that it's not meeting some sort of like, oh, look, I got, you know, whatever underneath the hood. Um, Yeah. So like they're going to say, yeah, I want to immediately want to upgrade it. So now I can say when it's sitting there, oh, look, it's got this and that and the other. And it goes into, like you said, with the placebo effect. Now, in their mind, they feel they have a complete car because they have upgraded it in their mind, and it's been touched and altered from the factory, so now they could be proud of it. I mean, everybody looks at everything differently. Right. No, Absolutely. Good answer. If, you've ever, if you've worked in a hobby shop or spent any time in a hobby shop, uh, one of the classic cases of this is um, um, one, of the, one of the biggest manufacturers out there puts a mile per hour on the box. The car does not do that mile per hour. It's totally capable of doing that mile per hour, and they explain exactly how to do it, and it's quite easy for it to do it. But it doesn't do that. But when you talk to that customer who doesn't know any better, who's running its stock out in the street, they will tell you that it's doing 100 miles an hour. No, but <laughs> it's not. I know it feels like it because it's sketchy, and it's all over the place, and it's having fun. And, and I love that you think it's doing 100 but stop telling everybody that does 100 and that you have a friend who's a cop and he radared it and he does, he, I swear it did 100. No, it didn't. <laughs> you know, but it doesn't really matter. You know, if, if you feel like it did 100, have a good time. As long as you're smiling and, you know, you felt like you got what you paid for, then 
that's all that matters. Right. No, that's perfect. Exactly. Um, I'm just going to read a, this one. It's not a question. It's just somebody answered in this question because um, I know Jay had engaged with the original um, with Rob Smith. Uh, Rich uh, Hayton said, he goes, I concur. The Enduro does, and he put in big letters, not like a lot of weight. It likes just a little and all up front. Also, I can't imagine they're too worried about the 10.3. In his opinion, it's a heavy class 3 with a dig trail truck. Is it okay if I answer this one really quick before I lose my train of thought? Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> um, as far as the enduro not liking a lot of weight, I I don't agree with that. Um, I've got a really light build, and I've got one that's also, you know, approaching ten pounds, and I I I haven't seen that. Um, that hasn't been my experience with it. Um, as far as the 10.3, and, you know, can't imagine they're too worried about the 10.3. It's a heavy Class 3 trail truck. Well, there's kind of a big misconception that manufacturers have Sorka classes in mind when they release something. Like, <laughs> there's not really anything about... I mean, yeah, the 10.3 has dig, and it's got a two-speed and stuff like that, you know. And if you were going to you know, use this or, you know, go to a Sorka comp, you would have to run class two and not, you know, make sure you don't use the dig or anything like that. Cause you'd be cheating then, but it's definitely not a class three truck. Like there's just nothing about it that you would even want to drive it in class three because you're going against borderline, you know, like shafty type rigs and, you know, a, a C channel chassis truck isn't, you know, sitting on four four point seven fives isn't going to be competitive in that class. Yes, it has a feature that would put it into that class, but I, and you can probably answer this better than me, Brad. But it hasn't been my experience in talking to manufacturers that they even keep comp classes in mind because that, contrary to popular belief, like the comp group the people that are that segment of the hobby that enjoy doing Sorka comps is much, much smaller than the rest of the hobbyists that are involved in this. I don't know why, but the comp guys think that, you know, everything released is, has comp in mind and it all revolves around them, but that just typically isn't the case. No, I think that's uh, I think that's spot on. Um, we, you know, manufacturers absolutely consider it. Um, but they're rarely making compromises to the design in order to make it better for the comp arena. Um, the mass populace, as you pointed out, is not going to comps. Um, but having some sort of sort of reference, um, especially uh, on the boxes and stuff like that, actually has value because you know, when a new customer is looking around, they see lots of references to that. So, you know, right. if they go over and look at your platform and then they don't see a reference to that on your platform, you know, is your platform missing something? You know, could right. it not be there? It's weird. All these people think that all this stuff and, oh, I need to do points and I, do I have to get a bell for the back and do I have to do all these different things? <laughs> I remember doing it with my honcho. And then I got mm -hmm. there and none of that really mattered. Um, I had completely wasted my time. I like tinkering, so I had a good time doing that part of it anyway. But, you know, sure. if I didn't, if I had gone there to compete, I would have wasted all my time. <laughs> um, but it's part of it, you know. Right. Um, I 
I think, it, what is it called, a Venn diagram when it's overlapping rings? Uh, I think yep. the 10-3 is just in that overlapping portion of 2 and 3. It's not a solid 2, but you cannot call it a 3 by any way, shape, or form. It's not a 3. 3s are rock-eating animals. That's not what this is. Right. It's a trail truck that leans more toward the rock-eating side, but um, to call it Class 3 would be a misconception for sure. Gotcha. Cool. It just has yeah. a trick feature, you know, or a few trick right. features. Uh, yeah, yeah. They're they're what the market asks for. Um, you know, in, in a marketing meeting, uh, I would refer to those as checkboxes. Which it's is got, very it's got, funny. It's got the checkboxes. <laughs> There's a question that even says that. That's what I was just about. To, that was the question I was just <laughs> yeah. about. So hey, there's your segue, it, pal. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> funny how it just goes right into that. Um, yeah, so Chris Trudeau, Chris Trudeau said um, it's it's been posed to Jay and Adam, but as a man in the industry, are we closing in on, quote-unquote, checking off all the boxes when it comes to an RTR or new release kits? With the new SCX-10 III, are manufacturers just filling in boxes on demand by the people? And if so, what's left? Is the next level in RC self-inflating slash deflating tires? Ooh, that last little dig. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think... I think the, the deflating tire thing is awesome. I geeked out on that video a, a lot today. To be Pretty neat. Yeah. I think that's cool. That is sweet. Uh, practical? No, not by any means. But that doesn't matter. It's still sweet. You know, like the capo yeah. I pointed out earlier, like, it's not practical at all. I still kind of want one. Right, right. <laughs> you exactly. know? Um, no, I don't think. Uh, I think it would be a really, really... Uh, I would be a bad person in my position to have a mindset that uh, that we're running out of stuff. Yeah, um, you know that would be really bad. They should get rid of me in a hot second if I was on that if I was on that path. Um, no, I think there's a ton of room. Um, one of the things that you can look for from us, um, if you haven't already experienced or seen it thus far, is um, we're going to look to bridge the gap quite a bit more. Um, there's a lot of technology and stuff that we've learned over decades of racing that um, have to take place in the element line of product and it'll be more so moving forward. Um, so no, I, I don't even, the, the light at the end of the tunnel is a pinhole. The tunnel is long and there's tons of stuff in it for us. I'm not even close to worried. Yeah, I was going to say, because it's, it's funny too, because I had this conversation uh, with my local hobby shop today when I was picking up my rig. Uh, we were talking and it was funny because I was kind of, being really tongue-in-cheek about it, I was like, you know, the more I thought about it, I probably should have just bought the 10.3 body because I don't plan on using the portals. I won't be using the two-speed. I don't know if I'm going to be using the dig at this point. And I was like, you know, all the features that they're kind of like adding to it, which we all know that, the like, you know, the fans, the consumers have been asking for a portal-type rig. Um, the two-speed, in my opinion, if you look at it, is kind of a way of answering to the Traxxas fan base. You know, they have the option for two-speed. Whether or not they all use it, it's there. Um, so, in a way, I think some of these parts that we're going into this one, I wouldn't say our box is checked off. I think it's more for being able to have, you know, like the bargaining chips, to be able to say, look, well, now these were your, you know, concerns or points of interest that we didn't have now they're there now you can make your decision which way you want to go yeah absolutely that i mean that's to me is check boxes you know it's like um when you go to look for for a purchase there's um, some things that you usually have set in your mind 
um, I've got to have this, this, and this, and I'll make an exception here, here, and here. And then you go and start to look. And if, if somebody misses straight out of the gate, then you may not come, you may not loop back around and give them another look. So, yeah, you know, and even if you're not going to use the two speed, and you're not going to use the dig, and you're not going to use the portals, maybe, you know, you put them in your box of stuff, and maybe you use them later down the road for a different build. You know, you know um, I... people ask us, like the trail walker, like, why has it got one five fives? Well, because we did one with one nines. And now you can have both. Well, why'd you do one with a top? And why'd you do one one piece and one two piece? Well, now you have both. You know, now you have options. Now you have choices. We're, mm-hmm. we're building. We're building a platform here. Um, most people have been doing this for a while. We're only almost coming up to our first birthday. So we're we're building a foundation for for a lot more. But the the grand scheme of things is the bigger the bigger picture is much bigger. We haven't really opened it up all the way yet. I. You know, looking at the ten three, and I, I don't want to sound negative or anything like that, but looking at it from a business standpoint, what I see with that platform is I, I'm a little disappointed in the fact that it came with portals. Um, I feel like they kind of caved a little bit and sacrificed some of the scale realism for having portals. Um but that's what people want. And so if I was Axial, I would be looking at what's selling and the success that Traxxas has had. And honestly, I mean, I see the 10.3 as them wanting to try and recapture that share of the market that they lost when Traxxas released the TRX4. And did they probably, you know, have to do some things that maybe they weren't necessarily wanting to do, you know, and keep it scale, like, you know, with the portals, for example. But, my God, I mean, it's like everybody's portal crazy, and, you know, if you're in this business to make money, that's, you know, probably a good a good thing to have uh, had featured on it. So, uh, you know, part of me is kind of bummed out by it because, you know, like if you look at it from a purist standpoint, it's like, man, why? But at the same time, I completely get it. And, you know, it was smart. It's not, you know, staying 100% scale, you know, and stuff like that with portals and stuff. But, you know, they're going to recapture that that uh, that bit of the market that they lost, I think. And, Jay, we have that conver- we've already had that conversation numerous times. Um, you know, there's... The thing I think they kind of missed it on was, you know, I think there's a time and place. I wish they would have released the the portals um, for the, I guess you could say the actual one nine scale or the ten two width. Um, if they would have released that with the with the UMG ten, that's the type of rig I expect to see portals under, or even the um, the six by six. But you know, I'm with you on I'm not a fan of portals on your everyday driver because if you want to be a stickler about what is quote-unquote scale, I bet you you have seen portals on less daily driver-type rigs than you have military-type rigs. And that's yeah. just something from, you know, ex- experiencing the one-to-one world. Yeah, which a lot of these guys as we're learning – don't have that background i mean like there there's a shocking number of people out there that really don't that aren't necessarily mechanically inclined and they also don't you know follow off-road racing or wheeling or anything like that this is just like a fun thing to go do so i mean some people don't know any better and it definitely i mean 
it putting portals on stuff definitely hasn't hurt anybody as far as manufacturers goes you know they're giving the people what they want and you know that if you're in the business selling car kits then you know that's exactly what you want to do so at the end of the day we work for them yeah exactly you know there's there's some some requests that they may have that you you know that you may not like or you might not agree with but like i said at the end of the day we work for them yeah, you don't want to lose if, if a, a Jeep with portals may not make a whole lot of sense, but it doesn't have to be a Jeep if we're being totally honest. I mean, you can take the body off. Not everybody leaves the body on right away anyway. So you take the right. body off and you make it something else. Maybe you throw that, that Unimog on there, you know. It might look cool with a with a mighty FC. Um, I'm a huge fan True. of that body. I thought that body was super cool. Yeah. Um, again, is. though, it would probably be military theme. It would be, it would be all of drab and kind of, you know, guns and kind of stuff. Um, yep. But... There's a time and a place for everything. Maybe, maybe, maybe we're in a bubble. You know, I could see how portals would be a huge advantage if you were, let's say, mud bogging. I mean, mm-hmm. you either would you either one of you mud bog? I don't. No, <laughs> yeah. I don't. But that does make sense because, like, with the mud, you know, you want less drag, so you want to keep everything up, so that way you can actually go through the mud instead yeah. of just pulling it with you as you're driving down. You know. Yeah, and you don't want to turn a five-inch tall tire if you don't have to. So, yeah. so you can still yeah. get that kind of stilty reach. So maybe you know, maybe for those who don't, the, the portals doesn't make sense. Maybe it's because we come in a place where, or come from a place where, they don't make sense. At CDM, portals don't make sense. Um, right. It's just fainting goats all over the place. Those things are falling all over. But yeah. there's a time and a place. So in a flat boulder field, like in a riverbed. Portals are a big advantage because they can right. reach down and keep you moving. So it really depends. It's time and a place. Yeah, and I'm I'm like part of a very I I feel kind of a minority where I I don't want to sacrifice my you know centered gravity for having ground clearance. Like I'd rather just switch up lines instead, you know, and kind yeah. of keep. And I like to keep the driving experience real you know scale too though you know it's like i don't want something that's gonna just murder every line that you point the thing at it's like i want to work for it like that's where the enjoyment comes from so for me portals have never been a thing because i you know i want it to be challenging that's the whole reason i enjoy this same here that's why most of my rigs are 155s yeah talk which about, is talk rad. about a struggle it's a constant yeah. struggle but Dude, it's tiny fun. tires it's are real rad. Yeah. You watch these things like you watch these some of these these crawlers uh, eat a course, and it's like, man, you wouldn't do anything like that in a real car. Even if the car was capable or the truck was capable of it, you wouldn't even ride shotgun. There's yeah, no, no way that nuts. <laughs> um, I'm in it to make it look real. I like to, I don't know, picture myself with a eighty thousand dollar trail truck because I can't really have one. <laughs> right. So no, I do exactly, it in RC. Yeah. You know, right. and uh, I like it to be real. But again, it's it's different for everyone. Some people just yeah. want something that gets to the top of the mountain. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It's just got to get there. Right. You know? Exactly. exactly. Um, I'm going to breeze through this one. Um, this is not a question, just a statement. Scooter Scott wanted to say, uh, keep up the great work. This one is a good question I want to get to. Uh, Jade Warburton. Uh, John Schultz was talking about an Endura setup. Um sheet today on his live video uh it would be cool to hear how brad sets up his enduros and why uh this is tough this is not um well even if it was racing it's it's tough um it depends 
we're at that first fork in the road. The first fork in the road would be, do you want it to compete or do you want it to look like a scale rig? That's usually my first go-to. Um, I'm a pro-line guy, so I kind of just tend to go to their site and go, okay, uh, what body do I want to do? I want to do that one, and then the build goes from there. Do I comp right. or do I trail? All right, if I trail, then I'm going this way, and I'm going with this wheel, and I'm going with this tire. kind of depends from there. Right. You know? I feel it. I'm kind of bummed yeah. out. Like, the setup sheet thing was kind of funny. Like, that's one of the things that Trav and I talked about wanting to do with ours is, like, Dude, everybody's gonna think that we copied Schultz now when I put that thing out. It's like, oh, if you do, if you told if you put it out, you're a total copycat, don't you dare. Oh, I know. God damn it. <laughs> Just kidding. It doesn't matter. See, the thing is, is like, there are truly an infinite amount of variables. I mean, even if you even if you had a, a section on the tech sheet that said overall weight, okay, but where's it at? Exactly. Yeah. You know. Uh, what spring rate? Okay, well, where's the shock located? What yeah. oil you're running? Okay, now where is the shock loaded? Like, where does the piston sit in the body? There's a and lot of factors that, that take place here that that are cut down tremendously in a race car. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're kind of, I know with ours, we're sort of modeling it after how race car setup sheets are, which probably 90% of crawler guys have never seen one, but it's it'll have... You know, just all of the different fields as far as like shock position goes, your ride height, shock oil, what piston you're running. I mean, we want to make it as like complete and comprehensive as we can. And so I thought it'd be kind of a cool idea because it was something I hadn't seen before in the crawling world, you know, a scale RC. And I thought, man, this would be really cool for the diehard guys to look at it and be like, man, you know, I really want to try and, you know, keep track of my setups and see what's working and what's not. Cause some people are kind of like that, you know? And so I thought, well, if we're releasing a a performance kit, then it would be a really, really cool feature to have, you know, that kind of falls in line with that, that nobody's done. So that was just kind of our thought process behind it is just, you know, aiding people to try and build a better mousetrap for sure and when you have when you're when you're focusing on your one kit then then it's easier to do a setup sheet because you don't have to ask well what towers are you running what link rises are you running that stuff's been defined yeah exactly. so it's a it's a little bit easier there um but what i think the industry needs at least me personally what i think it needs is maybe a a setup sheet but instead of a, a particular setup or a particular oil everything would be a range with an explanation of, of that range. You know, for example, if, if you're going to run a spring rate that is, you know, anywhere from 1.4 pounds to 2.5 pounds, you're going to want to be in this range of fluid weight. If you're going to run uh, a wheelbase that's anywhere from 11.8 to 12.0 or 12.3, this is where we recommend you run your link riser. Because right. those are the factors that take place. And here's what happens when you run the link here versus here and may, why you might want to run one or the other. Because exactly. for one guy, it might be better than one or the other. You know, One guy runs at a place that's got a lot of side hill. One guy runs at a place that's got a lot of downhill. Um, all that kind of stuff starts to play into, into the setup. Oh, yeah, just like with racing with, you know, like the dirt type and everything else. I mean, like you... Yeah, it, so it I'm all thinking gets more, like really a, more like a tip window, you know, something yeah, like that. Yeah, which would be really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the only thing where you lose somebody like me is I view every rig as kind of different. You know, they're all going to have their starting points because, like, if you run, you know, like, you have multiple different, like you kind of said, setups, 
where whether it even be a hard body or you know wheelbase, you're going to start messing with everything to accommodate what it is you're running. So for, that's why for me it's hard to start out with like a sheet like that. I just kind of like start building and I kind of have in mind what I know works with this and that, and then I kind of go from there. And then once I try it out or you know take it out on the trail, if I see something like oh it's starting to be a little too uh, you know, it likes to roll over or flop over on its side. Well, obviously there's too much weight up high, and I got to get something down low, or I got to change some. You know, I don't know. Yeah, that's just see, my way of setting sure. rigs up. That's exactly it. Perfectly though, that's exactly what I was just talking about. You already know those tip windows. I had that. that that's I had to kind of reflect on that recently. Somebody asked, "Well, what do you do when this happens?" Well, I do this, this, and that. How do you know to do that? Well, because I've been doing this forever. It's right. like, well, that's what they need to know. Okay, what happens? It's it's the troubleshooting guide in the back of your cell phone. What happens when the screen gets locked up? What happens when it won't power on? Like, it's that kind of stuff, but not as sure. trivial. What happens when you raise the rear upper link? What happens when you lower it at the pumpkin or raise it at the pumpkin? What happens? What? How does a caster affect the car? Um, these are things that people could really take advantage of and really tune their vehicle to their driving style, condition, blah blah blah. If they just simply knew how to do it, right? Yeah, no, which is great. I my approach to it was more just along the lines of guys being able to keep track of what's working for them and what's not. But the other thought was being able to share setups. It's like you know, okay, I this has worked really well for me in these conditions. You can try this because I mean, like with racing and stuff. I mean, I've used like, well, I've used Brent Thielke's setup for a race that was at Northwest Hobbies, and there was things that I had to change that were different with the track and stuff and different tires that I was using. And so, I mean, like it, it, a lot of the setup sheets in the racing world are a good baseline. And then you kind of, you know, make changes according to the conditions that you're running in. And I thought it'd be fun for people to share, but at the same time, it's like, am I wasting my time doing something like this? And is it going to be just kind of lost on some people because, there's a lot of dudes that I know even that do comps and stuff and like they don't even understand shock fluid, you know, and they've been doing it a couple of years and they're like, Oh, I just put enough in to lubricate the piston and that's it. And just like, Oh wow. Okay. Well <laughs> you're, you're, you're kind of missing out here. Like you're, you're not taking advantage of uh, something that's an incredible tuning tool for yeah. you, but they I got mean, led, led down the bad Facebook path. Yeah, I touched it, on that earlier. You know, somebody oh, read yeah. it somewhere, and it's Facebook fact. And now I, I just put enough in to keep the O rings wet. Oh no! <laughs> Facebook fact. That is such a great term. <laughs> I'm gonna use that for now. That is so great. Well, there you go. You can add that to your sticker sheet. Oh God, yeah. Oh boy, <laughs> that's, pr that's pretty funny. Right on. Um, what was I gonna say? I got you back on this one, and then um, I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna leave with another question after this one um, so that way I can find the other one it'll give us something to talk about while I'm looking for the other questions <laughs> um, so this one was from Vermin Steinsland um, he said is there any one of the big companies working on a uh, on a license on the Nissan Patrol the Y60 or the Y61 or oh, year oh, 60 to 61 I guess that's what he means um, I think that would be a popular body in a lot of places. It is one of the greats in off-road communities. Yeah, in his country, maybe that's. That's problem. I was gonna say probably in the UK or, you know, Europe. That's gonna be a popular rig. Um, 
not so much here, but I mean, it could be wrong. I mean, there well, are people. You could say the same thing about the Unimog, right? But it's True. pretty popular here too. Yeah. You know? And our population here is nowhere near as big as some of the populations where the patrol is, like China. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. It's a it's a pretty good safari vehicle too. I think they might have them in Australia. I believe they have them in South America. Actually, actually, if you look close, the Trailwalker is very Nissan Patrol. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's hard to ask if, if any other manufacturers are working on building a body like that. Um, it'd be cool if they were. Um, yeah, Simply yeah. because I like something different. And I think there's a, a massive hole for Nissan. Um, there's a lot of opportunity there. I think uh, I think that was brought up maybe by Jay recently. Um in a Facebook comment about Nissan being missing from the boat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, Nissan would be cool, but I'm not aware of anything taking place. Yeah, I, I couldn't picture it happening anytime soon, but I think it would be pretty rad. And, like, I mean, one of these days I want to build a little Suzuki Jimny still. Like, I think that would be really neat. But, I mean, yeah. again, you're talking, you know, small segments of the hobby so it's, it's yeah hard to... a niche in a niche is tough to justify exactly. and things like that yeah, yeah for sure so this one is a question from me while i go f- hunt down the other questions but <laughs> i'm just curious to know is a 2.2 rig on the horizon for element due to the fact i mean not just because i know the bomber was you know re-released or relaunched whatever you want to call it um but it it's an area that I was actually talking with my local hobby shop about that's that that part of the crawler scene has kind of died, and I wasn't sure if that's something that other companies because clearly I know Traxxas has well everything's been a one nine rig from them. Um, is that something that you guys ever see happening or taking shape? Um, anything's possible. Uh, you're always going to hear that from me because um, it's truly anything is possible. But I can also tell you that there is no current um, like uh, dry erase plans for a 2.2 rig. Um, as you pointed out, it's a it's a soft portion of the market. But um, very interesting times with the re-release of the bomber. Um, clearly, they've reinvested in that platform, and uh, they hope to restock that uh, stoke that segment of the market. I hope it works. If it does, uh, we'll be watching and. Um, Maybe it would be an opportunity or a time to place one on the market at that time. Now, I don't know if you can answer this or not, but the Nomad, with the success that Element has had, could you see maybe that being brought into the fold and being marketed under Element now? Or is that something you guys want as kind of like a basher rig? Because, I mean, that thing would be a competitive U4 racer. It is. Uh, we've actually raced it in U4. It is quite competitive, but it, it has limitations. Um, it's got wide arm pivots, um, which really hinders ground clearance. It's good for racing, but it's it's tough to get it through a boulder field. It's like uh, it's like running one five fives in a really rocky area. It's just tough. Yeah. Um, and another thing internally we struggle with, um, me personally, I struggle with, is crossing over product. Um, in order to rebrand the Nomad as an element product, it would be difficult. You have to imagine we've got header-carded product all over the planet with Team Associated on it. And then if you start oh. branding it as element, you know, it, it's just it's a much bigger picture than, than it would be just shuffling a car from, from one product to another. Right. I didn't even um, think of that. 
you know, because then there's all these parts crossover. A Nomad is effectively an RC8, an RC8.2, uh, RTR. Right. So, um, you know, you have all this kind of cross-compatibility issues and, and confusion. And uh, one of the things that I've been trying to work on really hard uh, for the last few years was um, brand clarity. Um, with everybody being fully aware that AE is Associated Electrics Incorporated, which is who we are. That's the company. And then underneath that company, we've got four brands that are Team Associated, Element RC, Re, and Factory Team. So I'm just trying to keep that stuff clean. Uh, so yeah. there, there won't be any opportunity for kind of bleed over. Same with right. the CR12. You could ask the same thing. Did you ever have right, the CR12 yeah, that, move over to Element? And, I've uh, had that no, in the back no, of my mind too. Place. Okay. Simply because, like, even if we wanted to do that, because it makes more sense to have everything scaly over there, right? Then you kind of have it in a nice packaged window. That's the other part of the argument. But the dominoes and the windfall from it um, with packaging and all that kind of stuff, it's just, it's a pain. They've started roughing in a uh, dual-purpose track that'll be U4 and uh, 8 scale Nitro and Electric out at Die Hard. So one of the things that they're talking about doing is starting you know trying to grow u4 racing out there and uh so i'll probably be looking for a nomad here before too long so that i can kind of jump in and help grow that little activity out there at the hobby to you know of that area of the hobby out there too so absolutely um i, I talked about it earlier um, one of the things i'm really hot on is bridging the gap maybe maybe the nomad could help build a class out there to help those that are into racing get into scale like, hey, take that race car that you have, even if it's an old clapped-out eight-scale buggy, and come over and race U4 with it. We'll change your wheels and tires. We'll get you some different bumpers and stuff, and come smash rocks with that thing. Yeah, yeah it might be exactly. clapped out, and it's tough, and it doesn't race well in your racetrack. But over here, it's going to be a riot, and you're going to have a ton of fun, and you might love it. Yeah, honestly, that was when I had raced U4 for that couple, two years, I think it was, when it really kind of started to take off. Man, I, that was probably the most fun off-road RC racing I've done, like more so than 8-scale Nitro or anything like that. Like it was just such a kick in the ass. It was one of my favorite things. So I'm, sure. I'm actually kind of excited to try and grow that out there and get a following going with it. Yeah, absolutely. I found the other – well, the other part of ours. I haven't dug deep enough to see um, with the other shares – if what other questions there are. Um, so this one's actually short because I think he posted it today. Um, Chris Trudeau, um, I don't know if this is a double or triple dip by now, but um, not sure it was answered in the last post, but obviously Cliff is being, or Cliff is behind this project and helped creating Element. Has he ever gone out on the trails with you? Is he still a racer at heart? How about the DR10? Is Cliff uh, being brought out to the drag races? <laughs> Cliff is involved um, as much as he's always ever been. Uh, currently, he's out. Um, he had a knee replacement, so he's he's out at home. Um, we we've been joking with him that he timed this stuff perfectly. He was he was locked at home already anyway. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he's an integral part of of um, of the team. Um, you could you could call him the heart. He definitely keeps the system flowing. He keeps everything moving. Um, we definitely couldn't do it without him. He's the head of our R&D department. Anything and everything that is created, uh, wants to be created, going to be created, uh, goes through him and receives his blessing or his veto. Um, nice. 
it's an honor to work with him. He's it's really cool. I enjoy it. Awesome. Um, Darwin Bonk just got a uh, one nine wraith. What mods besides servo, universal axle shafts? Um, I guess he's asking what would be the mods would you use? Would you add to that besides those two? Because he wants to climb like a goat. Um, that's tough because let's see. I just got rid of my one nine wraith. Um, out of the box. That rig is a little too top-heavy. Um, I found down low weight helps. Um, I had a set of aluminum wheels on it. Um, just that alone helped the the tip-over point tremendously. It was just um, it was insane because uh, Michelle's dad also has one. And when we were out on the trail together, he'd be so frustrated because his would tip over or flip backwards or whatever, and mine would actually kind of stay planted longer. It would still eventually roll over, so I do think that rig needs some more down-low down weight uh, and adjust the ride height to sit a little bit lower, which that in itself is kind of like free mods. You can adjust the shock position and adjust um, the uh, preload on the shocks because I think think they come kind of turned down a little bit, so if you loosen them up, let the thing sit a little bit lower. Um, the other thing I would recommend, because I did see it happen with that rig a lot, I did it right when I got mine. Um, I think there's other companies making them, but I know I ran the BPC uh, chassis stiffener kit. Um, it's inexpensive, and it basically just reinforces that whole um, area where the pan hard bar is because I guess it was snapping there on hard tumbles or rollovers um, and honestly that's really going to get it to climb in my opinion the best um, and you'll probably want to get rid of the 35 turn motor if you're going to try and get it for crawling um, probably go something with like a 45 turn if you're staying in the brushed uh, something with some torque so that way you can actually have it slow down and crawl um, but I, that's really all I got for that one. Yeah, it's, that is a very light rig. Um, what I ended up doing was like you, I ran, uh, aluminum wheels. I had, uh, incision methods on it and I used proline two stage foams and then G eight, um, cam threes on it. And I did that. I did brass links to get some weight down low. I moved the lower shock position to the link mount because you can gain about a third of an inch or so of uh, lowering your ride height there. And uh, yeah, I mean, get some weight in the wheels and tires, slam that thing down to the ground. And it was actually like freakishly good. Like it, it was a really, really good performing rig. We had one for work, you know, for doing, uh, we templated it for wraps and stuff like that. And uh, supposedly like the chassis brace is, totally necessary on it for the bumper so that you don't break that off it's more like a matter of if or when than if um it's just gonna happen um supposedly axial addressed that and they have remolded those cage side pieces to where it includes like a little bit of gusseting there now so um that is something that uh supposedly was addressed with newer versions of it um, either way, it probably doesn't hurt to just drop the, what are they, Adam, like 17 bucks or something like that for that bumper If you brace. get the, 
Yeah, if you get the basic one that doesn't have the part that goes up in front for the um, bumper, I want to say it was like 17, 18 bucks, and then I think it bumps up to like 25, 26 bucks if you go for the one where it actually um, bends up at a 90 degree and goes up um, and intercepts right where the bumper goes. Yeah, the bumper like passes through it, right? Yep. Yeah, honestly, I think that one's a way to go. I mean, for the couple extra bucks, that's probably one of the best things you can get for that thing. But, I mean, aside from that, I put a Tekken servo in it because the stock servo, you know, RTR servos can be. Um, I left the stock motor in ESC, and, man, I mean, it just never had any problems, never broke on me. It was, it was a solid rig, so if you have one of those, you know, just lower it, put some weight under it, and you're going to have a great time. Um, the last one on this post was from, uh, where did it go? Uh, Todd, Todd Wink. Um, how do you guys deal with tire wobble? Wondering if I should just live with it or maybe replace stubs in the portal axle. Um, honestly, all these rigs, because it doesn't matter what it is, um, in my experience, Due to the fact that these are tires that have no air in them, they're actually riding on the foam. The foam is always going to track however it tracks. So unless you have it like trued and sitting inside perfectly, the wheel's always going to look like it's wobbling. Um, that's just, you know, and some tires do it more than others, just depending on how much room there is around the foam. Um, I don't really think there's a cure for it that I know of. Um, I could be wrong. Um, no, I mean, you can glue the foam. I've never done it because I just swap stuff around a lot. But I know Schultz glues his foams to the wheels, and uh, that helps. Um, I, you know, when the foam shifts, like when you're side-hilling, like I've seen foam like full-on, especially closed cell or two-stage, I've seen them shift really bad to where like the rim's starting to push out, you know, past the sidewall where the tire is, you know, on really you know, gnarly side hills and stuff. But I mean, I don't know. It, it's kind of like how people complain about drive shafts moving just a tiny bit, or maybe the axles slide in and out of the housing a touch. Like, honestly, it's like, enjoy it for what it is. You're, you know, it's not a real car. The tolerances aren't the same. You can chase stuff like that forever. And it's just probably going to frustrate you. So just drive it and have fun. Well, that's pretty much spot on. I mean, you could absolutely glue the foams down. And it does help. Um, the steering, the steering angle that these things have is ludicrous. I mean, it's like a drift car. Um, and when you when you load the front end up, especially if you're slightly downhill and full lock steering, you can really tuck that tire underneath. Um, so if you glue the foam down, um, or even servo tape it down, however you're going to affix it to the wheel, it will help. But when it's when it's deforming like that, it's usually a sign of a poor setup. To be totally honest with you, it's usually a sign of a of a foam that's probably too soft or doesn't adequately fill the tire. Um, lately, I've been having fun with 1.9 wheels in 1.55 tires. Oh. I kind of like the look, um, but what I've noticed is is that it it deteriorates the sidewall and does it kind of eats up its support, so it slides that the surface of the tire slides and the rim slides in and out a lot easier than it did when I use the correct wheel. Uh, so gotcha. I found that kind of interesting. Um, so hmm. you can glue your insert down. That will help. Uh, it's also going to make a complete mess. <laughs> when you go to take those inserts off, they're going to be bits of that stuff stuck to your wheel. So kind of know that going in, it's going to be a bit of a mess. But if you yeah. use Shugu, 
it peels off pretty clean. Um, it it moves a little bit so you can get the wheel kind of assembled before it sticks. If you use servo tape, it's really hard. You have to commit to it once and get it right. Otherwise, you ruin the whole thing. Yeah. Um, we've done it in, in racing before, too. In, in on-road, you used to do that. Um, you would tape the insert down or you'd grind the insert so you had e either air above it or air below it, and you could use that to tune how the tire performs. You could do the same thing in, in uh, scale crawling as well. Um, so it does help, but let the thing wobble. It's okay. It's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I found in hunting, I found the element share, uh, the share of the post. Um, let's see. There's not well. There's only it said there was only like four comments on it, so there really are. Um, there's I guess some of them you can say are questions. Um, most of them are just like like Scooter Scott says going to be an epic episode. Brian Joyce, I want a Chevy body like that so I can keep mine on my desk at work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Rich uh, Rich Homan, uh, looking forward to that episode. Does Element have a uh, a new release for 2020? Are you asking me? I guess that's the question. <laughs> Dramatic <laughs> pause. Dramatic <laughs> pause. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, absolutely we do. Um, yeah, it's going to be a big year. Um, it's, it's only April. Um, yeah, it got crazy. Uh, it's still crazy. Um, but we haven't let our foot off the gas. Uh, we're a little more tired, but we're still full hammer down. Um, <laughs> right. There will definitely be some stuff from us um, throughout the rest of 2020. Nice. nice. Um, and then Jonathan Sobata, so sorry if I butcher that, uh, would be awesome if there were parts available to turn it into a basher monster truck like the SMT. I'm assuming he's talking about the picture in the post, um, that uh, monster element truck. Um, I guess that would be like, I guess that's his question. Is there, would you guys ever make a conversion kit to turn it into a monster truck? Yeah, um, I actually, uh, with, um, with the uh, four-wheel drive conversion post, um, that I did the last couple of days for the Enduro that I have here. Um, I've actually gotten that question quite a bit. Would you guys ever consider making a monster truck? And sure, I don't see why not. I mean, um, if any of you know John Schultz, then you know that that's his thing. He's he's Mr. Monster Truck. Um, so, yeah, I don't see why we couldn't. Uh, I'll be truthful with you and say that we don't have one. Again, we don't have one on the dry erase board. But um, it would not be not be very difficult to create. Um, truthfully, what it is is a transmission and some axles, right? Pretty much. And lower the yeah, you're gonna probably most likely have to lower the uh, drivetrain, like as meaning like the transmission. Um, of course. Just because those would be severe angles if you were keeping it up high. Yeah. But um, yeah, pretty much just lower that, like a subframe. Um, yeah, I don't see why that wouldn't be something feasible. Yeah, in fact, uh, I was thinking about, like, what what could I do with this four-wheel Enduro that I have here? I mean, could I get big offset wheels and tires from, you know, for example, from, from Jason at J-Concepts and make, like, a monster trucky body and make, like, a like a 12-3 monster truck just for fun? I kind of thought that might be a fun build. It might you be know, a good yes. opportunity to use some of those narrow bodies that are kind of too narrow. People don't really like them. Maybe even stampede bodies. And you could right. end up with, like, maybe, like, a 12-scale monster truck. If you use, like, a 12-3 trail truck, and like maybe 
the forward body from a CR12, now you've kind of got like 12 scale Bigfoot, but like a performance monster truck. It could be pretty cool. Yeah. STRC used to make a set of plates to where you could turn the thing into a monster truck. For the this was for the original SCX10. I don't know. Uh, might be able to track something like that down on eBay. I think it's been long discontinued, but uh, that's another yeah. route that he could go if he was wanting to go that way. Absolutely. So um, from all my hunting, I think that's it for the questions. Really? Well, because the other ones. Well, let me let me look because you you also shared it in the Die Hard, but I didn't really see any questions. Probably wasn't any. Um, but we covered a lot. Ooh, DR10s are hitting stores today. I'm seeing a post from Schultz. That's some yep. news. Yes. Um, who was it that posted? Race Prep, maybe. Somebody posted that they had one. Uh, so yes, they are shipping. Um, we've got them in the warehouse and they are headed out. They are all, all being shipped out. Nice. Right on. Um, what else am I seeing here? That's really, man, I think that's really about it. I don't know of any real news right now, you know, like, I mean, aside, I mean, we talked about the 10-3 last time. We talked about it some more this time. Um, well, the only news, the only news there is I actually finally got my hands on one. Nice. Right on. But what do you um, think? Well, I don't know. It's still sitting in the box. (laughs) Well, that would be tough to have a good quality opinion on how it drives then, wouldn't it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I literally picked it up today. So, um, that was, uh, our local hobby shop to us, um, JJ customs, um, down in San Jose, he uh, he's been getting small quantities of them, and he said he can't even keep them in stock. So he's like been like almost like you're almost on like a VIP list. Like once he gets them, he goes through his list of who contacted him first, and then he just kind of says, yeah. "Hey, I got it. Do you want it? If not, we're going on to the next person." And then um, I got on on the second batch, so he finally got the second batch in. Uh, went there, picked it up today. Part of the reason why I sold my one nine wraith just to offset the cost a little bit during these times. Um, and yeah, so I'm excited to put it together. We've talked about this in the past. Um, I'm running the SSD Trail King axles underneath it. I don't plan on using those portals. Oh, cool. So and you're gonna stick with the Jeep body? You're gonna go with uh, with a Jeep? I'm gonna go. With, I'm gonna go with the Jeep body. Uh, me cool. and Jay have been kind of. Um, we've kind of been collaborating on something for that. So um, I've ever since Michelle got a real Jeep, um, I've had a soft spot for the Wrangler. I don't know why. Um, it's become like something that it's like, I mean, I'm a diehard Chevy fan, and ever since she got that Jeep, it's like, I don't know why. It just, now I have like a, like I said, a soft spot. I see them online, and I'm like, oh, that's actually pretty cool. How could I replicate that? So. Yeah, you know that's about, made by Dodge guys, right? Yeah, it's made by Mopar. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Sorry, I had to. <laughs> no, I know. Hey. I, I have no brand to... allegiance whatsoever. I come from, from import drag racing, so. Honestly, oh, I'm, a, okay. I'm a Honda guy, so it's just, okay. it doesn't right really um, it doesn't really matter to me. <laughs> well, it, what's funny is like I get that a lot. I mean, there's a lot of people like, especially when they find out that I'm a Chevy guy, they're like, "Well, then, how do you feel about this?" And how do you feel like, I mean, honestly, like anything, I mean, you'd be lying if you didn't say that certain parts of every vehicle is like their strong suit or that's their case they're trying to make. Um, 
And lately, I think all the domestic truck brands, um, they're falling short because of what's kind of like in demand. They want this. It's like we've lost, in my opinion, what a truck is. Um, they're all going more like luxury cars with a pickup yeah. bed. And it's yeah, like, like three folding tailgates. Yeah, we don't I need mean, to step on the tailgate, but I mean, it's like <laughs> what are you gonna I mean, give us a dress hanger? And that's what, <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. I mean, it it, it kind of started like when Ford did that whole thing where the tailgate cap slid out and dropped down, and you had the pole yeah. to help yourself into the bed. It's like right. What what happened to just climbing over the tire and you're in the bed? Oh man. <laughs> now that that's I think I think. We talked about that earlier. Have you run out of ideas? Yeah, they've jumped the shark. Now they're starting to make tailgates that open in three spots and then swing also. So you can yep. have access to the cooler that's hidden under the bed. Yep. <laughs> what? So <laughs> crazy. And, and that's why, like, it gets hard. I mean, like, I actually got hit with that uh, decision when I got my, my new uh, truck for work was I was like, I, I either jump on – the scene now and get a truck because I just don't like any of the 2020 models across the board. I just don't like any of them. So I'm like, being a Chevy fan, I better get it now. So I feel, which I'm sure there's other people that are going to like jump on me for this one. I feel I got the last decent year of a pickup truck. Um, and unless they start changing things, I don't know if I'll ever be able to get a new pickup truck. It's just too. There's just too much. Like I said, there's just too much going on. It's like you're losing what a pickup truck is. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I wonder how many people actually use their pickup truck for pickup truck stuff. You know? Well, that's because um, there's a little bit of that too, especially and, and jeeps too. I don't know about you guys, but my area is full of um, young ladies in jeeps, and that it doesn't get any dirty at all, other than beach sand, like. <laughs> but um, they just love the car. It's a great car. They love the way it looks and stuff like that. But it's it never gets used for what it was intended to be used for. Well, see, that's what's funny because I know that's why Michelle originally purchased hers. But now that it's got a little lift, thirty fives, um, we're kind. I'm kind of molding it more towards getting it on the trail. We're gonna yeah. get that thing out on the trail. I don't care what I, she says. <laughs> I was gonna say, does she know about this yet? <laughs> so, I mean, it's like I, I get it. It looks good going down the road now that you got it all dolled up. But I said, I mean, come on, it's a Jeep. You got to get it off road. Hey, yeah, I think, that... I think if you truly love your Jeep, you, you know, and you you don't want to get it dirty, once you do and you experience what it's capable of doing, you're gonna love it even more. Oh, yeah. They're a great truck, you know. You got to get it out and get it dirty. And you're like, oh no, I didn't know that, you know, my little baby could do that. That was fun. Mm -hmm. Just don't wreck it. Don't push it too far. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You it's still a drive daily it home, driver. right? <laughs> yep, it's still a daily driver. Got to be able to get it back home. Yeah. Hey, circling back to your SCX103, have you cracked the box on that yet? No. Dude, I can't imagine what the parts bags look like in that thing. Like they're, I've been looking at it, you know, just because of the whole EPX APX thing. I was looking at a lot of body off pictures of it, and oh my god, is there a lot of parts, like individual parts, that go into that thing? The like, only the only thing is, and maybe one day, and I'm gonna put this out there now. Maybe one day I'll be able to compare it when I can put like an element kit together, but. 
I what I truly do like about you know, and I like I said, some people are not gonna like this, but what I truly like the way Axial went with their you know kits, with everything already being off the tree, it's already in a little bag, it's ready to go. You just basically have to assemble it. There's not a ton of extra parts. I mean, the early days when I first got into this, all my kits, I'd have boxes upon boxes upon boxes of like the extra parts and it's like you hold on to them because you're like well they came in the kit I'm going to hold on to these because I might use them and you you know you're never going to use them but you still hold on to them anyways and they just accumulate space and I still have a ton of um, parts trees from earlier builds that I've never touched them ever since really? I built them. Dude mm -hmm. I hang on to all my parts trees like they're in a big tupperware tote and man i rummage through that and i find stuff even whether it's like even if it's something little like a spacer you know like just little things like i'm always finding stuff on those man like in, in my life those parts trees are gold oh dude same here i've i've actually traded with people for that extra stuff i have a box <laughs> of axial ammo cans right you got a yep. box of ammo cans and a box of the mustaches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my god, I have so many sets of those, and I've never put them you know, on anything. But I, I'm the same way. Like I have pulled that stuff out and made um, even the tree itself. I'll use for bits of stuff. Um, I've used it for cage parts or for you know different tubing and different builds and things like that. All yep. that stuff is valuable if you have the space to store it. If you don't have the space, it's just a pain in the butt. Yeah, especially when they start getting all tangled together and stuff. I mean, like, well, I definitely see the frustration. You got to organize it. You got to cut it all up and, and get it into, like, the nice organized setup and kind of be realistic about it. That's how I do it anyway. Okay, so, so you it's know. just user error. I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> it depends. I, I, like, if you're style, you're if, you don't, if you don't like to tinker and put all together those little bits, then you might not use that stuff. But for me, I go back and use that all the time. Like, where did you get that little piece for this or that? Or It was the... It was the axial tree, and it was like the upper right corner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I just like I said. I mean, those little bullhorns, the ammo cans, all that stuff is cool. And yes, it's definitely missed that you like don't have those little like parts. Um, but like, I just I never really circle back to use a lot of the stuff. I mean, I think I've used in a pinch when I'm waiting for certain parts. Like I've used the plastic um, top hat pieces for stuff um, when I'm waiting for, like, the uh, the brass or the uh, aluminum ones. Um, but other than that, like, if they give me the extra links, like the one-piece links, I've never really touched them. I mean, everyone's done the thing with the Wraith. I've used, saved them and used them for that when you're doing, like, the fastback mod and stuff. Drop bars, yeah. Yeah, but I, other than that, I've never really circled back and touched any of it, so it kind of just sits there and it's like... But I don't have the heart to get rid of it because I know what's going to happen is I'll get rid of it and then one day I'll be working on something and go, <laughs> oh, wait a second. Didn't this come in this part tree? And I'll be rummaging through everything and go, I must have threw it out because I can't find it. Ah, yes, the hoarder's mantra. I can't get rid of this. I'm going to need this tomorrow. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it really just depends. I do, I do kind of like you too, though. I like a nice clean build where you finish a bag and you, it's done. Like you don't have anything left over to make you wonder: Did I miss something? Do I need that? Is that an extra screw? So it is kind of nice when it's just right to the point, nothing extra. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the the other thing I like too is since they do take everything apart, um, anybody who's been in this for a really long time knows the struggle that you have. Or I don't know, maybe it was just me being a horrible assembler. Um, the shocks when you had to take the the um, the actual 
piston off, and you had to make sure you filed every little bit off so that way it didn't like, mm-hmm. um, you know, leave a gap so that way you'd have oil leaking underneath it or it would scar up the side. And I mean, getting it just right, that was always like a pain in the butt for me. So the fact that everything's just like ready to go, it's just like, all right, cool. I can assemble this, and I know with confidence that it's going to be fine for a while. Eventually it'll start leaking, but we'll cross that bridge when I get there. <laughs> Dude, yeah, it's I mean, so have nice. you ever built associated shocks before? That I have not. Okay. Dude, yeah, so we actually nice. design. We actually design. I mean, our piston trees for that exact reason. We have spent hours upon hours upon hours designing pistons that would snap off a tree clean, so that you don't have to deburr it. It's little details like that 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 would be hard to kind of put on a box because you wouldn't <laughs> really have any value until you've struggled with that. Right. Exactly. Super. Right. It's a super annoying thing to have to deal with that you don't really know is annoying until you're stuck dealing with it. Dude, now, the shocks are so nice. It is so rad having cars with like really nice shocks that don't leak and they're easy to build, and you're not trying to get the air out of them thirty different times, you know, because the body's so tiny and stuff where they hydraulically lock and stuff. Yeah. And I mean. Man, it's it just you put together one of the element kits, and with the shocks, you feel so spoiled by the time you're done. Yeah, I mean, even an axial shock, it's it's you it can be made to not leak. It's just that the way that it was designed, there is not enough capacity in the body and in the cap itself to accept the entrance of the shock shaft. As yeah. the shock shaft enters the body, it moves the oil out of the way, and it has to move it somewhere. But there's not enough volume in the cap and above the piston for that oil to go. So it leaves the body. So you either have to extend the cap upward and create more volume above so that you can have a place for the oil to go. Or you have to limit how far up into the uh, body the piston can go. And then leave the top of the oil assembly or leave the top of the body void of oil. So you can tune it so it doesn't leak. Um, but if the shock is designed correctly, you won't have to. And now that I think about it, I actually I did have one team-associated vehicle, and that was an SC10 many, many years ago. Um, I did do the kit version, so I did have to assemble everything. But I think even back then, I remember my hobby shop that uh, in San Mateo, which is now closed, Told the kid told me, Make sure there are no burrs on those pistons so that way everything works perfectly because that might have been way back before you designed them to come off cleanly. I can't remember. It was like eight, nine years ago. Um, But, yeah, that was like my only experience with the team-associated car. And, um, yeah. Yeah, did you have to assemble the shot guts on the inside with that white assembly tool and all snapped inside? Yes. Or, oh, okay. with the that clip? was the oh. that was the old shock. That particular shock, if you didn't sit there and deburr it and massage it and talk nice to it and promise it all kind of fancy things, it would definitely come apart and leak on. If you knew what you were doing and you and you could and you could put it in the right spot, it was a fantastic shock. But it's okay, not yeah. like what we have now. No, that was old because what happened was. I had just gotten into the scale. I just got my SCX10. I think I had my SCX10 for like three or four months. The kid was trying to talk me into now you need like a basher or like a go fast car. And I was still 
geek on over be, you know being able to create a scale truck that I can crawl over stuff and he was trying to talk me into stuff but he was like anti Traxxas he just could not stand Traxxas so he talked us into Team Associated so we naturally went with what he said and it was a great car I just didn't use it enough to justify keeping it at the time so like four years after owning it I said time to go because I want to build more crawlers yeah for sure and yeah my co- and actually, I sold it to my cousin. He still has it. Jay, that's why I was asking you about parts for it. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. I was a, I was heavily involved in kind of that whole short course scene and traveling to Lucas Oil events and being part of the marketing there and um, traveling to each event. You know, I was the, one of the ones driving the truck with the trailer to each event and stuff like that. Really? So that was oh, a that super duper been fun time. So cool! Wow. It was a riot, and we met some incredible people. Um, the people from Lucas Oil. When we first started, it was Core that we worked mm-hmm. with, and uh, Ricky Johnson and Alan Fluger and Carl Renazetter. And it was awesome to meet and hang out with those guys. It was, for me, being a kid who watched Jimmy Johnson and Ricky Johnson race each other out of the peristyles in Mickey Thompson racing. Now I could watch these kind of guys run Core and hang out with them and like crack a Red Bull. It was it was wild. Such That's a good time. That's rad. Oh, the SC10 was super fun times. Well, what's funny was I remember when um, – because I was big time – because I was, I was super big time into like uh, Supercross – or I guess say Supercross, freestyle motocross kind of back then. Um, uh-huh. And uh, actually Upgrade had a wrap for the SC10 with the Hart and Huntington Rockstar logo, and I was I like – I remember that, yeah. Yeah, the, oh. for the liquid graphics package stuff, right? Yep. So I I yep. ended up doing I ended up doing that. Mine was rocking the Rockstar Hart and Huntington setup. Nice. So nice. yeah, I, re- I remember all that kind of stuff too. Uh, um, yeah, Liquid Graphics is the graphics company that makes all the shirts and everything for Hart and Huntington. And Fox. Oh, okay. That's how all okay. that kind of stuff. That's why you could get Hart and Huntington stuff when with Fox, and that's why Carrie runs a lot of Fox stuff, and that's why all that kind of stuff crosses over. It's all done through Liquid Graphics. Oh, okay. Yeah, so did they guy, Josh Merrill, the owner of Liquid, was Josh Merrill. He raced short course for quite some time. He's a really good Pro 4 racer. Wow. Hey, what happened to Upgrade? Like, they were just kind of there, and then they weren't. Um, uh, What was his name? Um, Parsley, I think. I forget what his last name was. Um, they were really into uh, moto and doing stuff, for, wraps and stuff for bikes. I think they went back to that, oh, back in, into that road. What do you remember? What their moto brand was, by any chance? Uh, I do not. Okay, I was just no. curious. Like, it, I remember. I do believe they were still doing that. I mean, they were really good in the graphics and stuff. I remember they just kind of, if I remember correctly, I think they just kind of got tired of uh, the hustle and bustle of racing and uh, custom requests and stuff like that. If you, you work in custom requests, you know it can be laborious. Oh, yeah. They're, yeah so, it's, uh, you know. If it's not lucrative and you're not super hungry, it can be really hard to justify. Yeah, no, the custom j- stuff, we just stopped. Like, it, it's just, you don't make any money at it. And, I mean, it, what's nice, though, is, like, with having the pre-designed stuff, it does free me up to where I can tackle, you know, custom stuff kind of pick and choose what i want to do but dude trying to scrape by and only do custom stuff for people was such a nightmare and it like it takes forever there's a ton of correspondence between you and the customer and it was just 
you know, you'd work on something that, you know, they don't want to pay more than 50 bucks for, but you just spent, you know, eight hours on it. Like it was just dumb. There's, I mean, yeah. so, but it was, it was just weird. I mean, I remember getting back in, you know, when we first got into this business and stuff, like never in a million years did I think I would, you know, still be around after upgrade was gone. Like they were like, kind of like, you know, the big deal when I got into this and I, you know, of course really looked up to all the stuff they had done. So. Well, that's yeah, what sure. I'm gonna... I mean, if you were doing anything vinyl, you were getting it from an upgrade. Like, you didn't really kind of look around. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. They kind of dominated the market for quite some time. Well, Jay, they yeah. saw you coming and they got out of the way. <laughs> I don't oh, think dang. that was it. Come on in. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that, but no. <laughs> I wish that was the case, but no, no, no. I don't think anybody's worried about me. <laughs> But, um, yeah. So, hey, did before we sign off here, did we answer Brett's question earlier about just longevity and how you've managed to uh, keep your enthusiasm this long? Did we already address oh, yeah, that? that? Okay, no. I, I wasn't sure. It seems like that was, you know, a long time ago. We've covered so much since then tonight. Um, yeah, so Brett from Die Hard RC wanted to know how you have maintained your enthusiasm and passion in this hobby when it is both work and recreation too for you, you know, because it's really easy to kind of burn out if, you know, your life is RC 24 seven. So what, what has been your secret? Uh, well, I have a passion for it and I've had it since I was a little kid. What, what's that mean? It's a, that little kid pointing up at the hot wheels. Every kid's obsession starts at 99 cents, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's totally how it worked for me. Um, that was my reward for good grades and stuff as a kid. Is the old man would take me to the, to the model shop and I'd be able to pick up a model and I'd like to detail and stuff like that. And take him in the backyard and fill him with firecrackers and light him on fire, that kind of stuff. <laughs> that's <awesome>. And um, <laughs> so it kind of I've always wanted to tinker and build. Both of my parents are very artistic and uh, creators. My dad's answer to everything is I can make that. <laughs> so I kind of I kind of adopted that a bit as well. Um, when I started at Associated, I started um, by sweeping the floors in the warehouse. Really? Um, I didn't have any kids yet. I wasn't married. Um, I was moving boxes. I was a racer that raced locally. Um, heard the job opening. They brought me in. As I was sweeping the floors, the guy that was doing QC, he was out. I was racing. I knew everything about the product, so it was super easy to QC. I understood how to use a set of micrometers and calipers, so it wasn't that big of a deal. I could use a Rockwell gauge. So I got into QC, and when I was doing that, um, it's not the type of a job that takes 24-7 or eight, eight hours a day. So I also did customer service. Again, if, as a racer, I knew all about the product, so I could answer the phones, and so I did that. And then I got into helping with design and, and helping the guys in R&D with ideas and concepts. And, and then at one point I decided I'm going to pick up the camera because I think I might be able to be okay at that. So I think maybe, long story short, what kept it kept me hungry was always staying fresh and always grabbing on to something new. I kind of refer them to like rungs on a ladder. I just don't like to stick around in one rung. I want to keep going. I want to learn more. I want to keep climbing. And, you know, now I'm the marketing manager. I get to be involved in most of the major decisions that the company makes. Um, I get to, you know, 
help create. I get to help make decisions, which is super cool, super scary, <laughs> oh, I bet. Uh, and yeah. super fun. Um, and I honestly don't ever care for praise. I, I really could care less for praise. The best thing that anybody could ever do is just have fun. If you're having a good time, if you like it, I, it's totally worth it for me. If I'm bleeding from my eyeballs, but you're smiling, I'm stoked. <laughs> That's awesome. Right you know on. what I mean? I just want you out there having a good time. I've been there. I've been on both sides. I've worked in the hobby shop. I've bought from the hobby shop. My first experience in the hobby shop um, was with an awesome person that I still know to this day. Um, what's up, Hugh, if you're listening? Um, <laughs> helped me with everything. Just was super nice. Didn't need to be, um, but was. And, uh, yeah, now I get to answer questions for him. So that's pretty cool. That is rad. Right on. Awesome. Well, do you have anything else, Adam, or are we about ready to sign off here? No, that was about it. Um, yeah, like I said, I could I could actually pull a J. I think this is like a really great episode, and I'm really happy with the way this one turned out. Cool. Yeah, I think people are really going to dig this. Definitely. Um, if we could keep you on here for just a couple seconds, Brad, I had a couple questions for you, but... Uh, For now, we will say goodbye to everybody, and we will talk to you again next week. So catch you later, guys. See you next week. Thank you.